Let's pray now as we come to this part of God's word. Father, we thank you for the testimony we've just heard of um, the great benefits you provide in giving us church family. Um, Adding my prayers to Margaret's, we uh, love the Vickers family and pray your every blessing upon them. And we pray now as we we come to a related topic of uh, the church and its value that we would... um, just sense in you uh, what we've got and, and how good it is in, in a church family. Uh, we pray for your spirit's help to, to um, drop our, our guard, our, our barriers against your word, doing its work in our lives, and that we might genuinely be ready to, to change. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, for the last two years, uh, the world's been pretty consumed with the desire to eliminate or at least slow down the spread of covid Uh, We've got our new lingo, like stop the spread or social distancing. Uh, We've got rats. Uh, We keep our masks handy. We QR-coded our way through life for some time. We're gradually working our way through the Greek alphabet, though hopefully that doesn't continue too much longer. And most of us think of ourselves now as authority on pandemics and how to best manage them. At least that's what I think of myself. Um, It seems we're, we're all becoming experts in that. It's not hard to think of our recent pandemic when I was reading through Acts chapter 11 and watching the gospel spread, as Jesus said it would, from Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and now we're coming to the point where the ends of the earth are about to be uh, broken into. The gospel is going to break out, it's going to spill out toward the ends of the earth from this point on. While there's still some debate about the origins of COVID-19, we need not have any doubt about the origins of the church. Uh, This gathering that we find ourselves in isn't an accident. Uh, Last week we saw the Lord organizing Cornelius' conversion, the the symbolic Gentile who comes in with Peter's recognition on behalf of the the, the, uh, authorized church. And this week we see the Lord not so much orchestrating a salvation, but a church to belong to, a way for such salvations and such saved people to gather together. So how does the Lord establish the first Gentile church? From which origin, which mother does the church like DPC come from? How did the Lord establish the first Christian church? Well, following the outline in your service sheet, we see first of all that it was through anonymous scattered messengers in verses 19 to 21. The first church owes itself to the Lord, but it also owes itself to the persecutors. Every effort to contain and prevent the spread of the church, to prevent the church from ever happening. We saw the evil persecution attempts of Saul and others to suppress it. But these were wonderfully repurposed by God to act as seed for the church as these spirit-filled messengers went to other places. And so the persecuted Christians spread out. But notice these Jewish converts, Jewish Christians so far, were initially engaged only in Jewish evangelism. I take it they they only had Jewish friends, largely. And so we see in verse 19, Jewish friends and relatives were their circles. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed travelled as far as Phoenicia... Cyprus and Antioch. So Stephen's death still having an impact. Spreading the word only among Jews, however, we see there. The next critically important stage, which is for believers 
to share the gospel now with Gentiles, as Peter did, seems to hardly have been their strategy at all. It seems more incidental, more a leak, a more, and Albert had a leak there for us, a a by-the-way incident. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch, we read in verse 20, and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. So the gospel now is leaking from the church the Jewish Christians toward Gentiles and into Gentile lives and homes like Cornelius's. These incidental, dispersed, anonymous missionaries begin this profoundly important work. They themselves heard this message secondhand from Jerusalem believers, we read, and now they are passing it on to Gentiles in Antioch. In other words, this gospel is going viral. It's going viral. The Lord's good news is breaking new cultural and geographical boundaries. And it's without any devised plan from Jerusalem. Without even the knowledge of Jerusalem, we find out. We see who is directing everything, however, in verse 21. The Lord's hand was with them. We've seen the Lord's presence from the beginning of Acts. Um, Jesus hasn't gone missing. (laughs) Jesus is the risen Lord of the church who still engages in the church. And so we see here, verse 21, the Lord's hand was with them. The Lord Jesus is still active, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. That's the great thing about the risen Lord Jesus. His attention can be in more than one place at a time. No longer bound to Palestine, but here he can be in Dremoyne. Very much alive in Acts and very much alive now. We can have the very best strategy as a church, but you're might remember it from the weekend in, I said our best strategy, I think, is simply to cultivate the practices that the Lord gives us and gives every church, that we grow through majoring on the Lord's means of word and prayer and fellowship. These earliest disciples certainly didn't have a great plan, if a plan at all. They were just forced out of their home and shared their testimony. And so they didn't have a great plan, but they did have word and prayer and fellowship. They may have lacked evangelism training, Good though training is. But they did have a fresh appreciation for Jesus and seemed ready to share it. All glory to God who planted the first church and used accidental evangelists who shared the gospel via refugees and house guests. I take it these early Christians spoke of what they had seen, what they'd experienced, and they spoke of their first love. it's commonly known that dislocation brings opportunity. And uh, I've had friends who've hosted overseas visitors in their homes in Sydney. Perhaps you yourself have done that. Often a great opportunity is one example to love people who appreciate it. Um, Feeling like outsiders in Australian culture, they're taken in by by those who need a home, taken in as those who need a home, someone who loves them with Christ's love, someone who introduces them to fellow Christians and a worldview they'd never even contemplated before and a place in which the life from above is experienced in their very homes. It's a powerful ministry. And something like that, I take it, was happening through these exiles. We read in verse 21 a summary that makes a good prayer also for us at DPC and Christ's churches all around the world. Verse 21 
that the Lord's hand was with them, with us, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Three times it mentions a great number of people. We can, on the one hand, say God isn't interested in numbers, you know, people are people, but on the other hand, numbers are significant, at least in this passage. Can you see the interest in those on the outside coming in in this chapter? A great number of people. Adding to the church's number is what God can do. Not as churches pursue numbers for numbers sake or for pride's sake or growth's sake even, but as we pray and strive for our saviour to be known by those who need to know him. Remember the Lord is judge and saviour of the living and the dead. The kingdom heartbeat that we saw in Acts chapter 1, the Lord, King Jesus, King of the kingdom, that he's come, he's saving, he's returning. He's come, he's saving, he's returning. And so while we think about a let's grow mindset, let's grow is first and foremost and and thoroughly a call to prayer more than anything else. Lord, will you by your spirit grow us in ways that please you? Lord, your hand is the hand we need as a church. May a great number of established Australians, new Australians, Ukrainians, Russians, Europeans, Africans, Asian nations be added to your church all around the world in our generation. May we be a missional church and all for the glory of God alone who does his work through this preaching of the gospel through ordinary vessels. Secondly, from verse 22, we see the Lord establishing the first church without official authorization or strategy, more explicitly. We read in verse 22 that news of this literally came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. It came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and then they, in response, sent Barnabas to Antioch. Far from the church in Jerusalem orchestrating things and using their hands and mouths with church planting activities, The news of it being already accomplished by God in Antioch is now reaching their ears back in Jerusalem. Perhaps they thought we had to come up with a strategy. The Lord Jesus, again, is one step ahead of them. Now, why might the Lord have chosen Antioch as our mother church, as the first symbolic place where Christians gathered together, Jews and Gentiles? It certainly had some great features that would make it a good choice from a human point of view. It was a cosmopolitan city of about 500,000 people. It had a large Jewish population, which meant there was good scriptural knowledge in the city, but also people from Persia and India and even China earning this city the name the Queen of the East. It was the capital of the Roman Empire's Syrian province, so not an insignificant city. And so it had Latin and Greek and Jewish and Roman cultures. Besides being the Queen of the East, For its links with the Gentile world, Josephus called it the third city of the empire after Rome and Alexandria. So it's a very exciting development to see this gospel now in this significant city with links to the world as we think about the mission in Acts. Putin, it seems, can't take Kiev with his vast arsenal of tanks and troops and missiles, though that remains to be seen. But here we see the loving rule of Jesus so simply infiltrating Antioch through the lips of his people. And where Putin brings destruction, the Lord, the real king, brings beautification. That's going to be the effect of the gospel. 
as people learn to forgive one another and love one another in completely new ways. And just as Putin doesn't seem to know what's going on in Ukraine through his own military commanders, neither do the Jerusalem leaders seem to know what God is up to, at least in real time. In verses 22 to 23, we read the Jerusalem church does, however, help when they hear this news. They don't seek to control God's movement. They send not apostles. They send, I take it, because the gospel's becoming established and the role of eyewitnesses is diminishing as people grasp this message of grace by faith in an established message. But they do send a gracious teacher and encourager. Verse 23, we read, When Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. It's not teaching them anything new. This is what the Spirit has been teaching them as people have embraced the gospel. And we notice, too, his character is not irrelevant. Verse 24, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. I take it the faith meant he recognized God's word work when he saw it. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. A great number again mentioned. Now, that ministry lives on today, I take it. And you might share in it at DPC. Goodness of character, an encourager of others to live for Jesus with all their hearts. That's what our kids' church leaders do each week. That's what our youth leaders do. That's what our home group leaders do. That's what we might do with our home groups or when we host a friend or visit someone or pray for the sick. Could not we be a church full of Barnabas characters? We might say Barnabas was full of the Holy Spirit, but I've always been an average Christian. He had an advantage I don't have. And I presume I'll always be an ordinary battling Christian. Uh, a few weeks ago, someone after the 9 a.m. church um, asked an excellent question from Acts that's worth raising here, I think, in light of Barnabas. I don't think we've raised it so far in our, our look at Acts. And that is, how do we become filled with the Holy Spirit as we see other Christians doing in the book of Acts? My answer to that comes from Acts chapter 4, where I think it's seen most clearly, and you might want to look it up later. In Acts chapter 4, the persecuted believers don't pray that they be filled with the Spirit. Rather, the believers pray for that which they know God wants of them. They pray for boldness when they're tempted to be afraid. And because this is what God wants for them, the Spirit then provides God's answer to them by filling them, which leads to their boldness. That is, we pray for what we know the Spirit wants, like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, like prayerfulness, like a boldness to witness. Ask your Father for these things, and the Father sends the Spirit in granting them. Let us too, as Barnabas would have us, verse 33, remain true to the Lord with all our hearts. There's a good prayer, and there's one the Spirit will fill us in accomplishing. Let us pursue faithfulness and undivided love for the Lord and anticipate the Spirit's help. Let us want what the Lord wants for us. Well, thirdly, the Lord established the first Christian church by providing human agents to teach the gathering Christians. In verse 25, one of the best things Barnabas did was recognize that God had equipped someone else. He'd equipped Saul. 
to serve this international, this mixed culture church, the apostles of the Gentiles, will be brought in. Now, I say mixed culture, but it's a clumsy term, and I imagine the vocabulary would have been a bit clumsy for this first generation of Jew and Gentile Christians now mixed together. A new term is going to be needed, and we see that new term in verse 26 will be Christians. Disciples is a bit vague. Do you mean a Jewish disciple? Do you mean a Jewish believer? Do you mean a Jewish saint? Or a Gentile believer, a Jewish Gentile saint? I mean a Christian, which encompasses discipleship. It encompasses belief. I mean a Christian, a new name to identify us as Christ's people, regardless of whether we're Jew or Greek, which is now fading into the background in significance. In verse 25 we read, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, his home city. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. There it is again. What's God's part? Well, we've seen so far that the Lord is clearly behind it all. Prayer, dependence, humility, therefore, will be great traits of our church and any church that acknowledges that the Lord is the significant one. Christian celebrities will come and go and will be out there, but we rely utterly and only on our gracious Lord. We've seen humbling news come out of Hillsong and take no joy in that at all. But the Lord still stands. What's Saul's part? We've seen God's part. What's Saul's part in this? I take it Saul's part, besides the epistles we're going to see and a whole lot of ministry that we can focus on another time, His part in this passage is to leave his home city of Tarsus where he'd been teaching and preaching perhaps now for seven or eight years since his conversion. A readiness that the gospel brings to Saul to go where the gospel leads and the opportunities are presented. We have theological students in our church who are being trained to do something similar. They tend to have short roots because they've been uprooted from family and uh, extended family and homes to serve God by studying the Bible to go and serve churches like ours. Word bearers being equipped to love and feed God's people. We are privileged to partner with them and share with them for a year or more. And I pray to generate such servants from our own congregation, DYSY. We'd love to send you to college or to send you to parts of the world as God's messengers. And we're touching upon now, thirdly, the church's part. What's the church's part in this happy picture in Antioch? Well, on first glance, the church in this passage seems pretty passive. But on reflection, the description in verse 26 probably has a whole lot of activity wrapped up in it. I'll read verse 26 slowly. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. What seems obvious from this is that people seem to have been available and keen to gather. They took advantage of Saul and Barnabas being there. We don't know what that looked like in terms of a weekly schedule, but it seems from the expression for a whole year that they made the most of the opportunity. Last year it was a privilege to spend a whole 10 weeks reading about 20 chapters of theology together at 7am on Tuesday mornings when we were in lockdown and we couldn't meet together in person. 
It was a great way to start the day for a whole 10 weeks. As we move back out of lockdown living and before we lock ourselves into becoming time poor as everyone else is, we might imagine and protect some space for a verse 26 period of church life. That for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And we don't have a Barnabas or Saul, but we have many opportunities to gather around God's word in our week. I wonder what your next whole year might look like. Some great things have got underway. Home groups have started, hubs started, youth groups started. Some people are meeting up to read the Bible and pray together. Some have organized prayer triplets spontaneously with a friend or two. There are monthly prayer gatherings. And more opportunities could occur when we hear there is appetite or demand for this. I'm really open to hear of ways you might like to grow in a way that doesn't exist yet. I hear from people regularly how they're enjoying some of these groups and really growing in them. But I wonder if we might resemble Antioch's culture a little bit more, having been challenged by it today, in the coming years. With life normalising a lot since lockdown, I wrote down on a piece of paper just a thought that came to mind as I think of what's next for this year in our church. What's the next level for us? I take it because of lockdown, the words came to me, showing up. Showing up. I think that's a big step as we come out of lockdown. Um, In whatever way that's appropriate for us, that might happen gradually for some. It might happen at some things for some and and other things for others. But the saying comes to mind that 80% of success is showing up. There's something to that, isn't there? Uh, You come home encouraged from a gathering you didn't really want to go to. But your showing up led to some spiritual benefit, both for yourself and those you met with. Brothers and sisters encouraged by your participation. An otherwise empty seat has you in it on that night or that morning because you made it. Relationships, following up on conversation, building trust, developing openness, knowledge of one another's lives. These things only develop where there is a level of continuity, a pattern of regularly showing up, just being there. Our ministries rely on many faithfully showing up. Ministries are strengthened as the Spirit moves people to become more available to God and to the church. We're going to miss Ellie and Ben and musicians, for example, are one area that we're a bit light on. There might be musicians we hear of who can come to the fore. Morning tea, um, PA desk, concrete areas like that where your availability will make a, a big difference. May we view a year as one whole year to, to encourage and learn and grow. We learn from Psalm 90. Teach us to number our days that we might get a heart of wisdom. A valuing of time in God's hands. So I wonder, where will you be in one whole year from now? Where will the group you lead or attend be in one whole year from now? One whole year can be a lot where there is commitment to gathering. But one whole year will bring little if attendance and gatherings happen only when they happen. Or when too many stars have to delicately align for for attendance to happen. 
when circumstances have to be just right or the plug is pulled. And I realise there's complexity in this. And for some it can be a real struggle to do these things. We never want to become legalistic or lack grace or create lots of rules or attendance demands. That's not, I think, what's going on in Antioch. There's just a genuine desire to learn and grow in the Christian life. And that will look different for each of us. But it is important to know, I think, that a significant ministry of encouragement comes through each of us just showing up more than we realise. There's probably a generational thing going on and will go on, and each generation, I think, needs to re-decide this, redetermine where it will be. I remember as a boy going to church, 10-minute drive to my church as a family, and we discussed what priority church will have in our life. And our policy was that it's not whether we will or won't go to church, it's whether we can or can't. And that was just our simple family policy. We go if we can. If we can, we go. It's actually easier, I think, to have that policy than to, to, to wrestle all the time with whether we will or won't. I found that choice more of a curse than a blessing when I wasn't a pastor. I mean, I have to be here every week now, so it's easy. I have to be at certain events, so it's easy. It's actually harder with some of the choice. The whole will I, won't I dilemma means I'm faced with the cons and the cost of every potential outing that I'm reconsidering each time. But our, our family certainly was blessed by its, its regularity. And then as we hit teen years, we'd go to youth or kids' church in the morning and then we'd come back at night to hear the sermon that we might have missed in the morning. And we've started doing that at DPC and started enjoying that as a family. Each generation, I think, needs to make its choices. And while the Bible doesn't give us lots of rules, it gives us some inspiring examples like the example in Antioch, where for a whole year Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The blessing we see here is enjoyed by those who are there. And so it's a challenge, isn't it? Will we be time poor like everyone else or will we have a rich time with God's people? If we always relax away from church family, it might simply mean adjusting that thought. and think I might relax with church family and just have simple hospitality and I might find that more refreshing and more invigorating than watching TV. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Let's pray. Arisen Lord Jesus, we count it such a blessing to know you and to be able to address you as Lord of the Church. Uh, the chief, the commander, the governor, the king, uh, the one who orchestrated the salvation of people here in Sydney in 2022. Uh, the one who planned for DPC to exist before the creation of the world, uh, the one who provides a church family for us. And Lord, I know I need to confess um, a diminished view of the church and my need of the church and the church's need of my encouragement. And we pray that we might see afresh, and perhaps particularly with Ben and Ellie's movement this week, to really value each other, uh, to anticipate deep 
relationships and friendships. And so to be here, Lord, and, and to be with one another, both at our official gatherings but also in our homes, in parks, in restaurants, cafes. Uh, Father, that we might benefit from word and prayer and fellowship. Uh, Father, lead us into this productivity, we pray, but also into this joy of knowing your people more and so knowing you better. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.